Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Matt Howell, and I am one of the pastors here. And thank you for joining us on this bright and uh, windy morning. And uh, so glad to see you. If, if you're new to Redeemer, if you're just checking us out, if you are... Um, uh, curious about the truth claims of Christianity, if you are confused by the truth claims of Christianity, or if you find yourself committed to the truth claims of Christianity, uh, wh- wherever you find yourself this morning, we're so glad that you've chosen to hang out with us here at Redeemer. Uh, so what is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is we are a community of people, and we're trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbors. And the way that we do that is we gather together each week, still kind of like this, and we worship. We worship our God so that we might rest in his great love for us. And then we don't just get together here, we get together throughout the week, corporately and uh, individually and grab coffee or tea or soda so that we might remind one another of his great love for us. And as we rest in his love and we remind one another of his love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that we might reflect his love, because we, we want to see our city flourishing anew through the redemptive love of Jesus. So that's kind of who we are. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love our God and love our neighbor as we rest and remind and reflect his love. And the way that we've been doing that this fall is we have been looking at uh, Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount, which is a, a sermon you can find in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5 through 7. And this is Jesus's description of what happens when a community of people like ours begins to relate to him as their king. So with that in mind, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7. We're in the tail end of this. We've gone two chapters already. The plane is landing. We've got just one, one more week after this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 11. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and then we'll consider it together. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would take this time to open up our eyes and to unclog our ears and to soften our hearts so that we would see and behold what is beautiful and true and good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a culture that prides itself on open-mindedness and uh, tolerance, so much so that uh, to be judgmental is seen as as the ultimate the ultimate sin, to be called judgy, or for a church or a group of people to be referred to as judgy, is, is, 
is one of the worst things that you can refer to another person. It's to completely blackball them. They, they've, they've, you've, you've totally written them off. Now, what's fascinating about that is um, even though we love open-mindedness, we also live in a culture that is called a cancel culture and an outrage culture, which is a little confusing. Uh, we, we love the idea of inclusion, but you saw the first presidential debate, right? There, there was not a whole lot of including going on in that conversation. Uh, one of the talking heads that was in the Netflix uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, said that, quote, you have more than one-third of the Republicans saying the Democratic Party is a threat to the nation, and more than a quarter of Democrats are saying the same thing about Republicans. The reason I bring that up is because we love the idea of acceptance, and yet... We live in a culture and a country and even a church that, has, that is more polarized than ever before. And so, tolerance can't mean I like you, I'll, I'll tolerate you, I'll accept you as long as you agree with me. And if you don't, then I will boycott you and I will cancel you. That's what the professionals call intolerance. So, what is true tolerance then? And, and how can we do it? How can we... How can we be tolerant in our, in our current moment? And so I think this passage is extremely helpful. Uh, Jesus gives us three things here that I want to look at with you briefly. Uh, the call to tolerance, number one. Number two, the practice of tolerance. And then number three, the key to tolerance. So those are the three big ideas we're going to look at. The call to tolerance, the practice of it, and then the key to it. So first, let's look at this call to tolerance. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're, you're not really familiar with the Bible, my guess is you've at least heard or have been familiar somewhat with verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. The King James Version says, judge not lest ye be judged. Judge not. Now, what does that mean? That is a very easily misunderstood, misinterpreted concept. Is Jesus saying we need to get rid of our judicial system? That judge, we got to shut down Judge Judy. She's 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 sinning with all this judging she's doing. No, Jesus is not talking about the courts here. Uh, is Jesus saying we can't make value judgments? That for you to judge something as good or bad is is no longer acceptable. No more Yelp reviews. No more leaving your ratings at your Airbnb. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. This, is, this would be like um, you walking down the road and you seeing an elderly woman getting robbed at gunpoint and your response is, hey, who am I to judge? You do you. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is very okay with calling things out as wrong. And so what does Jesus mean here when he says judge not? Jesus is talking about our attitudes. He's talking about having a critical, self-righteous posture of your own heart. To judge means that you put yourself in the position of a judge, and you give yourself the authority to, to meet out verdicts and to declare somebody as guilty, to condemn somebody, to write them off. So what, what I want you to see is that tolerance doesn't mean that you're accepting somebody's beliefs that are different from yours to be true for you. That's not what tolerance is. Of course, we're going to disagree with different people. That's unavoidable. A Christian's conception and vision of what the common good it is, it is, is going to be very different from what the common vision of, say, a secular humanist is going to be. Jesus is not talking about disagreeing. He's talking about despising. It's one thing to say, hey, I disagree with you here. I think that your beliefs aren't right, and here's why I think that. It's another thing to say, 
I think that you are an idiot for believing that. It's one thing to say, hey, I, I differ from you politically, and here are my reasons why. It's another thing to say, how can you call yourself a Christian and vote for fill in the blank either way? How have you responded recently to people that have disagreed with you over things that you hold very strongly? How have you responded? If you're anything like me, uh, your answer would be not great. I mean, this, this has been a season where I've had to do a whole lot of soul searching and a whole lot of repenting because I see the way that I'm responding to different things that people have said or different things that people have posted. And I find myself getting triggered. I'm like, how in the world can you believe that? What planet are you on? Would that make sense? But that's not the way of Jesus. True tolerance is this idea to, to be able to disagree with somebody in this civil, kind, respectful way. That is the call to tolerance, to judge not. So, how in the world do we do that? Because that feels so foreign to us, especially in our current moment where it just seems like nobody is, is really doing that. So what does it look like to do that? Well, let's look secondly at this idea of the practice of tolerance. And here, uh, look at verses three through five. Jesus gives us, I think, a, a pretty hilarious image. Uh, imagine that you're this person that has sawdust in your eye, and so your eye is watering, and you're rubbing it, and you can't get it out, and it's irritated, and then somebody sees you struggling, and they, they move to start helping you, but they have a 40-foot rafter sticking out of their face. That's the image that Jesus gives you here. It's crazy. But here's this person that's trying to help you, and they can't because they're blind and they're impaired. And so what Jesus is doing, he's saying, okay, let's flesh out what the practice of tolerance and engagement might actually look like. And I think he gives you two kind of practical dimensions here. Here's the first practice of true tolerance. True tolerance involves, first and foremost, self-criticism. Self-criticism. Look at verse 5. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Jesus is saying, look, you can't help others until you recognize and deal with your own flaws your own shortcomings, your own errors. You can't help anyone until you come to terms with your own shortcomings, your own sin, your own, your own uh, uh, flaws. More, and even more than that, you can't help anyone until you come to terms with your flaws and your errors are, are more serious than somebody else's, more dangerous. This is why Jesus says, you, you're the one with the log, they're the one with the speck. They got sawdust in their eye. You're the one with the rafter sticking out of your face. Now, if you flesh that out, here's what Jesus is saying. Let's just apply this to a couple of different areas. If you're someone that's married, Jesus is saying, you know what the biggest problem in your marriage is? It's you. And I know you don't agree with that. I know you want to believe your biggest problem in your marriage is your, spouse, is your spouse. And if they just changed, then good grief, this marriage would be so much easier, so much better. But Jesus is saying, nope, newsflash. The biggest problem in your marriage is you. Are you willing to admit that? Are you willing to say, I'm, I'm the problem. It's not my coworkers. It's not my parents. It's not my children. I'm the problem. It's not that political party. It's not that news outlet. It's not that organization. It's me. That's what Jesus is saying here. True tolerance begins first by taking the log out of your own eye. 
Um, when, when my wife, Catherine, and I, early on in our ministry, whenever we would do premarital counseling with couples, you know, a couple would come into our office and we'd sit them down and we'd talk about the different ways that people tend to do conflict. You know, everybody has different strategies on how you engage conflict. And usually in the couple, there's somebody that has an approach to conflict, which is, I will not back down until I win here. I will, I will full court press you. I will bring up stuff from seven years ago. I even remember what you were wearing when you said that thing. And I am going to keep going until you cave. And then you have usually the other person in the couple that avoids the conflict, yields, just gets out of the conflict as soon as they possibly can. And so Catherine and I would look at the couple and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say what is wrong about your conflict style and what's good about your partner's. And they would look at us just dumbfounded, you know, blinking. What in the world? What's, what's wrong? What's, what do you mean what's wrong with my conflict style? Mine is the right way. There's the ones that screwed up. That's why we're having all the problems. But that's, that's the point. The natural default setting of the human heart is to assume my way of doing it is the right way. And you're crazy. <laughs> if you have a relationship with anybody where one person is thinking my way of doing it is right and your way is wrong, and you have both people doing that, that that relationship is set for a lot of challenges and a lot of struggles. So Jesus says the posture to move into any relationship is the posture of humility, self-criticism, taking the low road, assuming the worst about yourself. I don't know if you've... um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, this musical. It's called Hamilton. Maybe you've heard of it. And um, one of the songs is a song called One Last Time, where George Washington is stepping down from the presidency and he's teaching us how to say goodbye. And at the, at the end of that song, that he starts reciting a part of a speech that George Washington actually gave in, in real history. And here's what is quoted in the song. He says this, Though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. Now, translation, knowing what I know about me, he says, I've probably screwed up a lot. That's the posture. That's, I mean, how, how much different would our marriages look, would our relationships look, would our churches look, would our, would our political discourse look like if that was the approach? Scott Sauls, who is this pastor in Nashville, he he once wrote this. He said, in the realm of politics, our public Christian witness does not hinge on which party we align with. Rather, it hinges on our readiness to, one, openly affirm where our opposing party does good, and two, openly renounce where our own party does harm. That's it. Isn't that what the world needs? Humility? A willingness to say, here's where we don't get it right. Here's where you're getting it right. Here's where, here's where we're getting it wrong. Here's where you're getting it right. True tolerance, the practice of true tolerance begins with self-criticism. You can't help anybody unless you're willing to be critical about yourself first. And then here's the second little practical implication of this. True tolerance also involves incredible sensitivity. Incredible sensitivity. Notice Jesus is using the I 
That's kind of the main thing in this little metaphor that he's doing here, this illustration, the eye. The eye has got to be one of the most sensitive organs in your body. I, I had something stuck in my eye. This was probably about two weeks ago. I had something stuck in my eye for, it was like four days. I could not get this thing out. I couldn't see it. It was bugging me. I couldn't, I was just, it was awful. I felt like I was going to have to make an appointment with somebody to get it out. And so Catherine, at one point on the couch, she says, here, let me, let me, let me help you get it out. And she moves towards me and I just instinctively close my eyes and like push her away and recoil because to get, to help somebody get something out of your eye, you have to be so delicate, so gentle, so tender. Jesus is saying, and he's calling us to engage in these important conversations, but to do it with incredible sensitivity, incredible tenderness and gentleness as we engage these really potentially explosive topics. This means that we have, to be, we have to be sensitive with the words that we use. We have to be sensitive with the tone that we use. We have to be sensitive about what, we, what articles we post or what videos we pass around. Now, I know in, in, um, in our culture that is, is punch drunk on power, to be kind and gentle feels and seems incredibly weak. We feel this pressure of that's not going to work. If, if we're going to make our case, if we're going to make our point, we have to get louder. We have to get bigger. We have to get meaner. We have to get more aggressive. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not to pulverize your opponents. Jesus didn't come in and pulverize his opponents. He made himself vulnerable to them and he died for them. So final question, how in the world can we be the kind of people that, that we're, we're self-critical, we, we are humble, we're gentle, we're sensitive towards other people, even when we disagree very seriously with somebody else? Well, we have to look at this last thing, the key, the key to true tolerance. And here's what's so fascinating about this uh, passage, I think. Jesus gives you two different images of God in this little, in this little section. The first image that Jesus gives you is that God is a judge, this is what's going on in verses one and two. And he says, judge not lest you be judged. He's, he's assuming God's the one that's doing the judging. God is the ultimate judge, the true judge. And the reason why we're not to judge other people is because that position has already been taken by God himself. Judgment is reserved for people with omniscience, which disqualifies us. So God is this image of a judge, but then here's the second image that he gives us, that God is a father, this is what you see in verses 7 through 11. Look at verse 9. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? So I th again, I think that's just a kind of a hilarious question. It's like my son Reed coming up to me and saying, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a PB&J? Will you hook me up, please? And me saying, okay, hold on. And I go outside and I pick up a rock from our driveway and I put it on a plate and put it down and say, here, eat this. He's saying no, no human father would do that. And look at, look at what he says in verse 11. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see the logic here? He says, if human fathers will, will give good gifts to their children, even when they're evil, even when they're totally messed up, how much more will your father give you good gifts who not only is not evil, but is infinitely good? He's infinitely generous, infinitely forgiving, infinitely gracious. So you have these two images. God is judge, God is father. And now we have a little bit of a puzzle here because how in the world can he be both? If God is judge, that means he is committed to justice and he is intolerant of sin. 
and he must punish it. But if God is a father, he's committed to mercy and he is absolutely tolerant of sinners and he welcomes them and receives them who are evil. How in the world can God be both judge and father? How can he be intolerant and tolerant at the same time? Well, the only way to kind of unlock the puzzle is to go to the cross. At the cross, you, the, the cross is the key that unlocks and connects this whole puzzle for us. If God is judge, that means he is absolutely committed to punishing and removing and dealing with our sin and evil. If a human judge saw blatant evil and just gave it a free pass, we would run that human judge out of town. That means you're a bad judge. God has to be committed to punishing what is wrong in the world. But because God is a father, out of his love for us, he decided I'm gonna come down and bear their punishment so that they don't have to receive it. So he comes in the person of Jesus and he receives all of our punishment that you and I deserved on the cross. He bears his own justice for our sin in our place. Jesus gets the stone so that you and I could get the bread. Now, when the gospel of grace begins to trickle down into your very heart, that softens you, that humbles you, that has to make you a tolerant person. Here's how it works. If you, believe in your, if you believe in your heart of hearts, I am a sinner saved by grace, what you're actually saying is, God saved me not because of anything that I had to offer. I was not more impressive than other people. I was not more right than other people. I was not better than other people. If I'm saved by grace, that means I am intrinsically no better than the pedophile or a racist, or a rapist, or a terrorist. I had nothing about me that gave me a leg up over those people. I am saved by grace. You see how it just, it flattens you. It flattens humanity. And when you are humbled into the dust, you know what that does? It, it opens you up to being brutally honest about your own shortcomings and your own failures. You have nothing to hide behind anymore. You have no reason to fear being, being found out. You've already just told on yourself the most ultimate thing, that you're a sinner saved by grace. But here's the other thing. When you are humbled by grace, you know what it also does? It also makes you incredibly tender with other people, even people that disagree with you. Because at the center of your heart, at the center of your faith is a man that gave himself up out of love for people that disagreed with him. At the center, at the core of our faith is a man that gave himself sacrificially out of love for people that were his opponents, people that disagreed with him. And if that's how he relates to you and I, how in the world can we relate to anyone any differently? I'll end with this, final thought. Uh, there's a quote that I put at the beginning of your bulletin by uh, John Newton. If you can hold on to your bulletins without them blowing away. Uh, John Newton, of course, is one of the... the um, uh, he, he was the guy that famously wrote the, the old hymn, Amazing Grace. And he has this a great quote where he says, when people are right with God, they are apt to be hard on themselves and easy on other people. But when they are not right with God, they are easy on themselves and hard on others. In other words, if the gospel either doesn't make sense to you or, or if you believe it in your head but it hasn't trickled down into your heart, then your heart is gonna operate like every other default setting of the human heart, of the human race, which is to say, my way is right and I will defend it and I will blame shift and I will do whatever to defend my position and I will be critical and attack you and you are wrong and I am right. But if the gospel of grace gets in there 
it turns everything upside down and you find yourself being way more critical of yourself, way harder on yourself, way more quick to repent and way more generous and kind and gracious with other people. Isn't that what the world needs? People that are self-critical and humble and respectful and gracious with people that we disagree with? I think as a Christian, only the gospel of grace can give that to you. And the good news is, it is free for the taking. The invitation is to come to Jesus and to rest in his grace and watch yourself become humbled and a tolerant person. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the beauty and the love and the wonder of King Jesus, who would give himself for us that we might be saved purely out of love, purely by grace. And I pray that that would transform us into the kind of people that are incredibly gracious, incredibly sensitive, hard on ourselves and easy on other people. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.